I just want to pop in before this episode of It's Lot and let you know there is discussion of racism and violence. So if that brings up anything for you, please look at the resources in the show notes or maybe give this one a miss. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the episode of It's Lot with Abby Chatfield. And today we have Terang Chawla. Hello, Terang. You've been one of my most requested Hi, episode guests. Did you know that? Wow. Well, thanks for having me on. I, I did not know that. News to me. <laughs> so I'm just going to read out all the things that you are that I've written in my notes. Yeah. Writer, anti-violence campaigner, mental health advocate, race and gender equality advocate, and the man who can hold a masterclass in apologies for those needing to say sorry. You are an apology king. Not because you've had to say so many, but because you just have empathy, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I have had to say them before, right? Like growing up, that was was something that mum instilled, right, in my sister and I. It was like, if you, if you do the wrong thing, say sorry, and then kind of like try to be better. Yeah, and admit what you did was wrong and acknowledge the pain. We'll get into that in a little bit longer, but I felt like the way that I worded that, I was trying to word it last night when I was writing this, so it didn't sound like you were some problematic YouTuber that had like a million yeah. apology videos So you were like, I'm sorry for the something phobic thing that I said. It's just that you are intelligent and nice. Well, thank you. I, I hope, touch wood, that I don't need to use that in future. I mean, fingers crossed. But, you know, we, we all may. So I have so many topics that I want to speak to you about, and usually I let things become like a free-flowing conversation, which they will, but I feel like with you there are so many. We could do like five episodes with you. But I was saying, oh, we might have to do it later in the year, but then like the things that I want to speak to you about are timely. But then I was saying you speak so well about current events and topics. It doesn't really matter when we speak about certain events because you have something to take from it that is very timeless in the way that you speak and kind of the understanding and the empathy and the morality that you bring to topics. So it actually wouldn't matter when we spoke about these things that I want to speak to you about because it's more about your overarching message, which I think is amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, I try to speak about things as they're happening, but like ultimately whether we're talking about racism, sexism, discrimination, they're all issues around like human rights. So it's not, it's not like if we spoke today, Abby, or we spoke a month from now, or we went back in time and we'd spoken in the past. Like these are issues that are going to be around in our lifetime and we've kind of got to work to figure out um, what's the way that we're going to work collectively. You know, what's the way that as a, as a society we're going to band together around that kind of middle 80%. You know, there's 10% of people who never want to get it. There's 10% of people who already implicitly get it, you know, or have been educated to get it. And then everyone else is somewhere in between. And we're all kind of trying to figure it out as we go along. So for me, it's like the current events are just a, a way to have a broader conversation. They're about something bigger than you, me, even the individuals when they when they do stuff up or they do the wrong thing. It's about bigger than them. That Sometimes what I see is that that doesn't come out. You know, people think that, oh, I've stuffed up, I'm over, I'm cancelled, I'm, you know, my career goes, my livelihood goes, myself, you know, my respect in the community goes. But it's about bigger than the individual, right? It's about all of us. Yeah, it's about progression and understanding and having some sort of change happen, even though it's very slowly. Yeah. I actually was going to talk about this later on, but let's start with the apology thing, because I think it's something that... I've seen a lot of people share your apology posts of how to apologise if you're... I mean, recently we had a week where Nadia Bartel and Georgia Love both fucked up tremendously in a week. Yeah. And I think we had a post that was like, hey, influencers, for a week, can we have a <laughs> can we have a break? Yeah. And you posted basically a, a how-to apology, and I saw so many people post it. So I think it's kind of what you're known for now. Yeah, I was hoping it'd be something else. But look, if I mean, if that if that helps people, um, and I, th- I think there, there was a little bit of humour behind it, you know, where I was like, hey, influencers, you can get this for free. Like, you don't you don't need a discount code at checkout. There's no, like, yeah. Terang 10. You know, like, this is literally on the house. Take it and use it. And I think, like, for me, it's about if you've done the wrong thing, an apology is not going to diminish you as a person. No one's going to, like, be running to court to sue you. We're not the United States. We're not the country here in Australia, right? We're like, people don't just go suing everyone, right? It's not that kind of place, fortunately. So it's like, say sorry, apologise, own up, and then do the work. And everyone everyone will actually be on your side, Yeah, I think. Well, I think so, an interesting case study, I guess, like we're at uni, uh, was the Georgia Love, yeah. her, her racist posts. Can you explain what the posts were? You'll do it more eloquently than I will. Yeah, right. So I think it was like a Monday and uh, Georgia Love was out about 10 or 11 a.m. And for context, I didn't know 
that Georgia Love was one of the original Bachelorettes. I didn't, I know kind oh. of, I didn't know that, right? No yeah. context. Right. I just thought she was. Uh, I'd seen her occasionally on Channel Seven News, right? And I'm one of those nerd burgers that's watching like SBS News or like BBC. Or you like- watch a free to air. Yeah. Interesting. Is that is that why you're so smart? Should I start watching a free to air? I mean, you you could uh, if you if you want. Like, they need the viewers, right? Like every time the ratings come in, and it's like one percent of the population. I'm like, that's me and like another guy down my street who has poor, like you know, poor hygiene. Like that's 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 the barometer. But so she's she's out and about, and I had no context of like who she was as a, as a, like an influencer, and I knew about her journalism career, and and that's what struck me, right? That she was out and about, and she posted this video of a cat in a restaurant window and she said something to the words of shop attendant or lunch or lunch and then a like i think like a sh- like a shocked face or something emoji yeah i think a laughing face i think the laughing yeah, emoji the tear yeah. the tears laughing yes, emoji tears right laughing, yeah. and then you know clearly people caught up on it like straight away and i think it's funny because she was a brand ambassador for chadston shopping center here in melbourne right and they dropped her so quickly, mm. right? And that was a pure business decision. Like, they've got somewhere, I, I imagine, in their manual that, like, if so-and-so fucks up, then we cut ties. And it's like, like, who's going and doing shopping? Like, people people from, like, different migrant backgrounds are the ones who go and, you know, it's not Barry going to Coles at Chadston that's keeping them afloat. It's all of the, like, you know, students from, like, Clayton Monash University and stuff that are going there buying handbags and, like, really spending big. That's keeping Chadston, like, profitable, right? Right. Is that what Chadston, is it near the uni? Uh, it's not too far, yeah. Right, okay, because I don't know anything about yeah. the, yeah, yeah. the shopping centre. Anyway. I mean, like, they've got, they've got everything, right? They've got Louis Vuitton, Gucci, you know, uh, oh. every, everything's there, right? So mm-hmm. it's, like, it's it's a combination of, like, high-end and, and everything else, right? It's, it's, like, the only place where you can go and buy, like, grocery items and at the same time walk out with a new pair of, like, Louboutins. Right, okay. All right, interesting. Like a Bondi Junction. Yeah, it's it's kind of that kind of vibe. Right. So uh, she's posted this, right? And then I, I see it, and the first thing I feel is disappointment, right? I'm not angry. I'm not like, oh, my God, this is outrageous. And I'm certainly not coming from this position of holier than thou. Like, it's not like I've never made a joke before that's marginalising the Asian Australian community, even though I'm a member of it, right? It's not like I've not done that before. I haven't posted it to Instagram to 200,000 plus followers, but I've definitely thought or said things that were harmful, right? Every, everyone has, particularly men when it comes to women and, and other gender diverse groups, right? So like for me, it's this initial sense of disappointment, right? And then I think, okay, she's done the wrong thing. She'll probably apologize. It'll blow over. And then her apology comes out. And her apology was on stories. Like it wasn't it wasn't a post. Like it wasn't something that was like fixed in a moment in time. Significant enough. Yeah. It was like it was like twenty-four hours this is gonna be up and that's it. Right. And I think that was the first thing that people took task with. That didn't bother me, right? That that alone didn't bother me. What bothered me about the apology was that she kind of put herself in a position of either she knows more than she's letting on in her apology. Or she doesn't know, in which case, how could you not know? Yeah. I was saying to my my agent, I was saying it's like a t- early 2000s Comedy Central joke. Yeah. Like it's not some new nuanced joke. Even if it was something about um, coronavirus where it's a topical thing, it's like, okay, maybe you should know, but it's very base. It was a very base level joke. Yeah. It's like it's lowest common denominator humour, right? And she'd said something like, I meant absolutely no insinuation about the type of animal nor the type of restaurant. Yeah. But I see that my post did not come across like that and was offensive, right? And on the face of it, you could you could go, oh yeah, that's she doesn't she doesn't know, right? She didn't mean it to cause offense. But I think there's two things here, right? One is that we have to separate intent from impact. You know, like if you if you go and punch someone and you're like, I wasn't intending to do it, this the impact is still that you punched them. Right, that's that's still a thing that happens. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good analogy. Like, if you walk past someone and shove past them, you go, "Oh my god!" You, like, you feel sick. It's that's your initial reaction, whether or not you meant to shoulder them. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so with this, it's kind of like it's kind of coming across like she she's saying, oh, "I didn't mean it," but now I understand that it was like that, right? But what she could have done is actually go into like. You know, if, if for me, if to be a better apology, it would have been like, look, I didn't realise just how harmful this is and I didn't think about the broader context, right? I didn't think about how jokes at the expense of Asian Australians in the pandemic 
are really making life harder. And that's the kind of thing, right? That like being born in privilege or having like white privilege, whether you're a woman or a man or whoever, right, is not the problem itself, right? Like I don't get up and say, oh, you're white, that's bad. No way. What I'm trying to say and what others are trying to say is that if you have privilege, so for instance, I have male privilege, right? I have the benefit of multiple university degrees, a good education, all that stuff, right? That's privileges that I have. So if you have that, it's kind of like, what are you going to do with it? What do you what do you want to achieve with that privilege? It's not like, it's like the same thing around sort of like rights for Aboriginal Australians, right? People say, but it happened a long time ago. I didn't do it. And it's like, we're not saying that you did it, right? No one's saying that you did it, but that happened. Accept and acknowledge the history. And then what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do going forward? Like if you have kids, are you going to teach them about the truth about Aboriginal Australia? Are you going to teach them the truth about how Everyone that came here is technically an immigrant unless you're a First Nations person. So Absolutely. for me, it was like this kind of apology that just missed the mark. And, and what disappointed me was that a day later, we found out that she'd made the same joke in like 2013. Yes. So yeah. that meant that like, you know, how could you not know? Yeah. I don't know her personally, so I can't say whether she did or didn't know. But it makes it hard to to argue that you didn't know if you'd done the same thing before. Yeah. Or the context. I think as well, even if the joke wasn't meant that way, I mean, I'm hypervigilant. I, I try to be. Obviously, I've made mistakes before and I've had to apologise for them on my Facebooks and Instagram. And But I think I'm hypervigilant of making sure nothing could be taken in that way. So obviously, as a newsreader, she's aware of the current climate when it comes to a- Asian Australians or Asian Asian people all over the globe and how yeah. there's been increased violence and stop Asian hate. And and you think, okay, this is an Asian restaurant. I don't know what, was it Chinese food? And, you know, this is- I think so, yeah. This is a joke that exists. So therefore, I'm not even going to skirt the line. It's not worth my 15 second post. I'm probably not going to post about it or- yeah, I I think it's also like being hypersensitive to what's happening in the current environment, especially as a newsreader and understanding how damaging that can be to an already community that's already going through so much with the current climate. Yeah, and there is this kind of thing right around that, like the current climate, and particularly in Georgia Love's case, right, one of the things that I empathise with her around is that she wears multiple hats, right? She's at once like a newsreader and reporter for Channel 7 News. But at the same time, she has this role as an influencer on social media and she does like brand partnerships and fashion and and lifestyle and wellness and beauty. So there's like and those things don't always go together in the sense that like you when you're a news reporter, you can't necessarily joke around in the way that you can when you're wearing another hat. But what what I think the lesson from this is that regardless of whether she's an influencer alone or a reporter, right, who has very, very different like kind of like social roles that the jokes that she's making still aren't funny. Like, they used, we all used to laugh at them, right? Yeah. But I think collectively now we're like, come on, like, let's aim for a bit better. Let's aim for humour that doesn't marginalise an entire group of the community who are literally getting bashed, like, in the streets. Yeah, let, let, let's aim for a little bit better than that. Yeah. So I, was, I want to ask you as well, I'm asking this completely earnestly and genuinely, do you think if Georgia Love's apology, if she had your handbook on how to apologise, if she had used, you know, a structure that was appropriate. Do you think it would have blown over in 24 hours? Or do you think the hurt of the Asian community is, and rightfully so, big enough that an apology, it would have needed more than apology? Like it would have needed some actual action beyond it? For me, one of the things about an apology, and it's a great question, is that an effective apology requires change, right? An apology without change is like gaslighting. Right. If like, you know, we talk about like women in abusive relationships, right, Abby? And it's like the guy will be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But he'll keep doing the same behavior. Right. And he'll keep like having that cycle of abuse and that pattern of dominance and control. But every time afterwards, he'll say sorry, like he'll buy flowers or he'll do whatever. And the same applies here. Right. Like if you do something and it, it causes harm to other people and causes hurt, then if you don't take some kind of accountability, which requires some kind of action, you know, whether that's in Georgia Love's case, I don't know, like, I don't know her as a person, but you know, whether that's um, talking to more people from the Asian Australian community, running a story about how uh, harmful stereotypes can be and trying to pitch for that in seven years, whatever that looks like for her, it's a case by case basis, right? And I think it's a really good example of how 
uh, Nadia Bartel apologised. Yeah, I wanted to compare the two because we had a little chat on Instagram about this and I thought it was so interesting. This is good because I think people now will know what you're talking about in your DMs because I think there, there might be a perception that it's like, oh, it's all just thirst traps and stuff. But we're actually trying to have intellectual conversations. We are. Conversations we're trying while well, also thirst trapping. This is the issue. We have. It's a very fine line, you know. It's a balance for us. People don't get we are hot and smart. Maybe Abby Chatfield. I don't know about <laughs> me. But. Trang, the amount of th- grow up, the amount of DMs that I've gotten and replies, everyone is in love with you. Accept it and move on, okay? I agree. Okay. Sorry. Let's I be- had to intervene. Oh, yeah. Okay, actually, Glim, can I say? Yeah. This is, a, this is a deviation. Okay, so Lem is gay. She's come out to me today. No, she's <laughs> she's in a committed Exclusive. Yeah, I know. She's And she said, you know what? And there are very few men. So we obviously have a few male guests. And she goes, you know what? Tarang, I would. And not only would I, but I would date him. And that, Tarang, yeah, right. that is a big deal. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have theories, right? That, like, to me, like, that's the highest praise. Like, from women who date other women. That if they praise you as a man, that's it. That's that's Everest, right? And then the, and then like, and that's why I thought you should know. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you, Lim. I, I mean, if if anything, <laughs> if welcome, any sorry. harm befalls your partner and you need a shoulder to lean on, I will I will be here. Um, that's, that's, sound, that that was meant to sound well intentioned. It just sounds horrible. I, I hope nothing happens. <laughs> oh yeah, it sounds like it was a, a mild threat. Very. Hmm. If anything <laughs> happens to your partner, I'll be here for you. I'll be here. Sorry, continue. I just had to tell you about Lem's love for you. I'm going to, by the end of this podcast, I'm going to need to, that apology lesson uh, taught back to me and I'm going to have to like <laughs> be pending apologies to Lem and everyone else. I think uh, the Nadia Bartel one was interesting, right? Because she did something, you know, the snorting the white powder off the Kmart plates. Plates out for Nadia. Why you would put that on Instagram in the first place? Like that's, that's a tense conversation between friends. I would opt for a better standard of plate. Firstly, that, I mean, that's just me. Like if I, you know, lockdown has been tough on all of us and I think like splashing out on good crockery is not a, is not the be- the worst thing to do in the circumstances. I, I, uh, I found it particularly strange, right? Like it came out, it happened, and then afterwards it was just like this whole thing, right? And everyone was like, there was this kind of moral purity around the drug usage and I, I hated that, right? And it was like this kind of like everyone on their high horse from like the, you know, because she was formerly married to a footballer, all of that kind of like moral purity from the footballing crowd was disgusting. Because I was like, fellas, there is like a misogynistic culture around AFL football. There's like toxic treatment of women. There's drug usage that goes on. Yeah, right? so like, AFL let's... players don't don't love a Kmart plate. Like, come on. But also as though like lawyers, I think, do the most enjoy the most Kmart plates. You know, lawyers, real estate agents, account like every like, it's pretty common. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's common, right? It's common enough that, like, that's one of the industries that during lockdowns has not been adversely impacted. Mm, yeah. Right? Like, like they're, they're, their business is booming. So, like, clearly there's enough of a market there for it, right? So, I found the moral purity angle really off-putting. The fact that she was gathering in private when we were meant to not be gathering in private, like, during lockdown, that really bugged me, you know, because I, I mean, I've got friends that, and family that are healthcare workers on the front line and they're putting on their PPE, right? They're, every day they're going into work for these like 14, 16 hour shifts and then they're getting home and then they're like unrobing, like, you know, taking off their PPE or whatever clothes they wear home, they take off their PPE at the hospital. And then they, and then they like have to go in, shower separately. They're living like in like these different quarters of like a family home. Oh, really? Right? And they're, they're not hugging. Yeah, they're not hugging their partners. They're not hugging their small children because they're like, I don't want to transmit anything. So even within the home, they're living like physically distanced from the people that they love. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's happening, right? So when that's happening, I'm like, come on, Nadia. Like, you know, it's a small price to pay that we don't all have parties at home mm-hmm. so that more people don't die, so that ICU beds aren't like kind of brimming, you know, with COVID patients and stuff. But what I liked about the way she handled it is that she acknowledged that she'd hurt those people. She said sorry. I think the word sorry over I apologize is so powerful. You know, I think that's why, like, when we've had apologies, say, to the stolen generations and stuff, it's like when you say the word sorry, it means something. You know, like, I apologize feels like a really legal way of, like, you know, I don't want any liability. I don't want to get in trouble for it. But Yeah, it's kind of distancing yourself from the emotion where it's saying I'm sorry is quite emotive and, and it's it also yeah it, it adds an element that isn't there with I I apologize is very much like 
written to my school principal when I didn't wear my hat to year 12. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think one of the things here, right, is that she, the consequences of her actions, right, like getting, having a party during lockdown, that harms a lot of people, you know, and she acknowledged that, that I've, I've let you all down by my actions. And then she addressed her family, her friends, you know, uh, the public health workers, and the fact that she expressed that she's embarrassed and remorseful. And she said, I'm truly and deeply sorry, right? And she wants to earn back trust. And I think that that's something that is powerful, right? That's saying that, like, I've done the wrong thing, and I understand that, and not making excuses. A lot of apologies tend to make excuses, whether it's like, I didn't mean to insinuate anything, right? And it's okay to say that in the context of an apology, but then put it in a broader context. Like, for instance, I didn't mean to do that, but I understand that that's exactly what I did. You know, and then you're acknowledging, you're owning the part that you did, right? And I think it's so topical now because Nicholas Drummond, the guy from Sydney, the 20-year-old young man who punched, a, a, you know, a young woman or a girl, I don't know how old she is, right? But, I mean, he punched her and his apology landed in my email inbox. Like, I was CC'd in on that. Yes. It's a long, it's a long thing, right? But in short, right, like he, uh, Nicholas Drummond went out from the words of the judge, the sentencing judge, he was, he was definitely having a good, good night out, but he saw a young woman, right? And he decided to comment on her outfit, right? Which like, just for any men that are listening, don't do that. Like women, they're not, just, just don't do that. Like that's again, no discount code needed, just free life advice. If you see a woman and you don't like her outfit, Cool. That does not say anything about her outfit. It says everything about what you think about her outfit, but she doesn't need to know that, right? You can just keep that in your head and also think about why do I think there's a problem with what she's wearing? Oh, is it because I've been conditioned to believe that women exist for men's pleasure and, you know, male entitlement and privilege? Oh, maybe there is that. Oh, exactly. How would I feel if someone like reduced my entire character down to my outfit? If I didn't like my chinos and button up and my Iron Williams, how would I feel? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good example because, I mean, these guys, that that is their uniform, right? Like the the baby blue Oxford button-down collared shirt, the white T-shirt underneath, the beige chinos and the chestnut RMs, the craftsman with the chiseled toe. Always. The chiseled toe. It's always a chiseled toe. Yeah, and the thing is, it's the clothes aren't bad. That's the thing that bugs me, right? Like that's that's a way to dress well. Like it's, I think, if you're a you know cisgender man, it's pretty easy to dress well. Like put in a modicum of effort, and you look good. Like you know when you go out, right? Not that we can because of lockdown mm. and stuff. But when you're out and you see a straight couple, right? And you'll see, like, I'll see a woman and she's so dressed up, right? She's mm. done her makeup. She's got falsies on, like those lashes, yeah, right? She's had her nails done. Uh-huh. She's gone to like all of this effort, right? And he's wearing, like, this crappy T-shirt with, like, a stain down the front. And I'm like, mate, you're not, you're not Ray Romano, right? You don't have a net worth. You don't have a net worth of $125 million. You're not Ray. The fact that you chose Ray Romano as <laughs> Well, he's a, like, because he's funny, right? Like, he's got, like, he's got personality traits that make up for the fact that he couldn't give a shit about what he wears. Right? I just think it's so funny. <laughs> you chose of all people in the world. You were like, you know, <laughs> you know who I think is funny? Rich, iconic, Ray Romano. <laughs> Adam Sandler? You name them. Like there's <laughs> middle aged men who've stopped giving a yeah, fuck. Yeah, They're just like, I don't so I've checked out. Like I've made more than a hundred million dollars. I don't care anymore. Like and they're the ones that they've got no appreciation for like luxury items, right? They don't care. Like they rock up to like the Oscars or whatever. And they're wearing, like, a rental tux. And it's like someone comments on it and they're like, man, I don't care. I literally don't care. And maybe that's why Maybe that's why part of, like, you know, the appeal of, that, of like, some middle-aged men is that they've just stopped caring. Like, yeah, and true. the confidence is sexy. Because they're like, cool, say what you want. Like, Ray Romano is sexy. <laughs> now, that's taking me out of context. That, that I'm not saying. That is, that, that, those words are not attributed to me. And if this, get, this part gets edited out, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, like, I'm going to have problems. This is going off topic a bit, but I got a message in my DMs yesterday just being like, why the hell would you talk to Abby Chatfield? And I never wrote back. Yeah, um, iconic Because scenes. I tend not to write back. People that Lem, Lem looks shocked. Pe- babe, people message the brands that I work with. People message Channel 9. They message everyone that has anything to do with me. Yeah. 
And it's like, mate, I've lost all respect for you. And I was like, I don't know you. Like, I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you. This is what I was saying the other day on my stories about people who DM people like, I'm disappointed in you or I've lost respect for you. And I was saying it's not about things that are, you know, problematic, just like your actions or like the way you like, I don't know, someone that you feel friends with or something. And they're like, I'm so disappointed. It's like, I don't know who you are. Maybe just unfollow me. Like, I have no idea. I would not recognize you in the street. I don't care if you're disappointed in me. It's weird. Like the vaccine thing. I'm so disappointed for you being for you being so divisive. Not being divisive, people are dying. So I'm really glad you brought that up, right? Because when I think of this Nicholas Drummond stuff, right? And his apology that landed in my e- email inbox and like God knows how many people, right? Because he wrote, I'm a 20-year-old who did a terrible thing on one night of my life and now I am told it can go one of two ways for me. Be crushed to nothingness by those who don't know me or attempt to rehabilitate and better myself with a view to many years of positively contributing to society, I'm going to aim for the latter, right? Now, that's word for word what he said, Abby, right? And the thing that I find so fascinating about that is that, like, he's addressing strangers there. Like, I'm told that I can be crushed to nothingness. And for context, what this guy did is that he commented on a woman's outfit. Then when she asked for an apology, and he refused to give one, uh, she said, I'm going to take a photo of you, right, so that I, like, I can report this. And she pulled out her phone. Right. And people might disagree with that. I don't. Because if someone has assaulted you. And it happens all the time as well. It's like the straw that comes back. If you're going out as a woman, you're getting at least catcalled. And, and I'm not saying out, out. I'm saying if you're like walking down the street, you will get catcalled probably one in five times. So it isn't just like, oh, get over it. It's like, this is our entire existence. You're getting nipped at all the time. So you're going to go, fuck you. You're close enough and you're drunk enough. I'm going to take a photo of you. So she gets her phone out and he snatches it out of her hand. So she, she bails, right? She's out and she goes to another other place right and there's not that many places to go to like anywhere and so she she ends up at a place where he rocks up to later and then i think she's tried to have a conversation with him this is the thing right it always comes down to women to educate men it always comes down to women to go what you said isn't cool none of the guys around him are going hey mate i think you need to go home yeah i think yeah i think i think the night's over for you let's jump in a cab let's get an uber let's just let's just get you home right none of that happens and then he's um punched her in the face and she's fallen to the ground right and i think she's like quite small like frame wise right and he, he looks like a he's i mean he's a soccer coach he's gone to like an all boys like elite private school he seems sporty i've seen images of him like on the daily mail he'd beat me in a fight right like i'd be i would not want to like get into any kind of physical altercation with him or literally anyone but he he's punched her right And then another guy has tried to intervene as a bystander. And Nick's tried to land a punch on him and he hasn't hasn't connected, right? And then and then the news report because if you go and read the actual full case, right, which has got all the facts, none of this is in dispute, right? Like this is what happened. Then he's gone, you know, into like get the guy, right? And he's had to be physically restrained. And I think that's the thing, right? This this isn't like he punched someone and then went, oh, fuck, what have I done? Like, I've really, I've overreacted. He it was, keeps going. This was like a, you know, like a pressure cooker. And it went off. Yeah. And that whistle's going to keep going, right, until someone steps in. And so he he got physically restrained. And then this ends up in a local court, right? And he gets found guilty uh, after pleading guilty to, like, assault and whatever other charges, right? And then... He gets conviction against his name. And the conviction means that he can't work with children anymore because his working with children check is going to be revoked, as it rightfully should. We don't want people that have convictions for physical violence against other people, particularly women, coaching young children. I don't think that's the, the, the I think baseline, that's not the model that we want to set for the society that we should aim and strive to live in, right? He has the means in his family to appeal that, right? He goes from the local court to the district court and has a barrister. Right, which is like a you know he's got someone who who has like decades of legal experience, like two and a half grand an hour or something, isn't it, a barrister? <laughs> Some of them can be right. Some of them can be up, you know, but they're printing money by this point in their career. Those particular types of lawyers are printing money, and he appeals a decision. And the judge, um, Justice Sutherland, he you know he said that he's met this young lady on a night out who was unknown to him, and and. He may have, as as a former student of Knox, found her outfit to be provocative. And I just think that when judges are making those kinds of comments... It shows that he understands that boys that are being educated at Knox are going to be 
raised with sexist and slut-shaming views and misogynistic views inherently. So he's admitting that and saying that that's an excuse for that and then therefore anyone who goes to Knox or a similar school feels no need to change or have any sort of progression and Knox themselves are saying, well, look, that's just a Knox boy. Boys that go to all private or boys schools are notoriously... Did you, did you go to a private school? I didn't know. Okay, here we go. Boys that go to all boys private schools are notoriously misogynistic and are genuinely awful. I had a knife thrown at my head at schoolies by a boy from an all boys school. Like That's far. It's not unusual for them to be violent and to be incredibly misogynistic and even into their 30s, like men that I know now. That I'm like, that's because you went to this school. I'm really, I'm really sorry that that happened to you, Abby. Like, that's not okay, and that's not on, and that's genuinely fucked. I went to an all boys selective entry school, right? So we we weren't private, but we had like we had a lot of the you know the trimmings, right? Like we had a swimming pool, we had an oval. Uh, Lindsay Fox used to go there, and he when he was like a, he got expelled because he didn't do any work. Um, but then after he became a, like a trucking magnate. He, like, had a deal with the school to be able to fly his helicopter and land it on the school oval. So, we'd be, like, out at recess. And then, all of a sudden, it's like, everyone, get off the oval. Lindsay Fox is coming. And then he'd, like, land his thing and then drive down the road. Land his helicopter and then drive down the road in his Mercedes Off the oval. Off the oval. Yeah. Yeah, Get off the oval. Lindsay Fox is coming. (laughs) And you're like, fuck off. I'm trying to play footy. Uh, So, we had that environment, right, where it was there was, like, it was definitely like layers of misogyny and uh, and sexism and, and all of that stuff, right? And growing up and going to school right at the like high school, right at the um, turn of the of the century, there was there was definitely a different kind of culture, right? Like the jokes we talked about earlier around uh, Georgia Love, we were making those jokes back then, and everyone was laughing about it because we didn't know any better. And I think that's that's the thing, right? With situations like Nicholas Drummond, or generally, it's about education, right? And one of the first things I said when Nicholas Drummond's conviction was quashed by court and the judge made these really problematic comments was, I don't want Nicholas Drummond to be cancelled, right? I don't want him to not have some semblance of a life. What I want for Nicholas Drummond is I want him to look inward and find courage that I don't think he has yet to go, what does being a man mean to me and what kind of man do I want to be in society? You know, like actually put that $30,000 a year that his parents have worked hard to send him to private school to good use and go, okay, I need to learn some emotional intelligence. I need to get help for anger management because I lashed out at people, right, because I wasn't dealing with my own trauma, right? And and the judge made reference to the fact that he had really bad 2020, right? And like he he lost a a pet in his family. And I think people trivialize that. They're like, oh, my dog died, whatever. But Clearly, he's going through something. This isn't an excuse. This is just, these are his circumstances, right? I'm I'm in no way excusing his behavior. His behavior is horrible, right? But I think he needs to have court-mandated behavior change, right? Because at 20, right, he's still figuring the world out. He's not like a 50-year-old who's set in his ways and he's like, oh, women belong in the kitchen and blah, blah, blah. He's, He's a guy that could actually, you know, be the type of person that goes, hey, fellas, I used to think this because I didn't know any better because I grew up in an environment where it was normal to treat women like shit. It was normal to think of women as second rate. And one of the things that I don't want to see is I don't want to see schools like Knox and others start rolling out these like emotional intelligence programs for boys and mental health and do this kind of like pat on the back, like, oh, I feel vulnerable because I opened up my feelings. Because the thing about men and their feelings, right, is that men's behaviour still adversely impacts on women. Women bear the brunt and consequences of male anger, male shame, men's entitlement, right? So what I'd like to see... Sorry, I just wanted to speak about men and how a lot of men who are misogynistic speak about how women get to cry and women get to have these emotions. Absolutely. But that's actually governed by other men. That's governed by the patriarchy because you don't want to seem feminine. It isn't women... 100%. Women women want people, men in their lives, to speak openly about their emotions, especially their romantic partners. They're begging for them to show some sort of vulnerability. No one's shaming you. No women are shaming you for that. That's actually the patriarchal structure that you exist within and you reinforce. 100%. And that's the thing, right? It harms men just as much as it harms women. Not more, certainly not more, but it harms men, you know, and it harms particular kinds of men the most, you know, those who don't fit into that mould of being alpha sporting jocks, 
right? Like if you're if you've got a brown skinned face, right, and you and you've grown up being really sensitive, right? Like I was, you feel that you suffer as a consequence of that. You get bullied, you get discriminated against, you get racial stuff, you get like um sexist stuff, you get called a faggot all the time, right? Because you're into things that like boys aren't meant to be into. And your options then are to either conform and become misogynistic and homophobic and stop the pain and the ridicule, or you just have to endure it. And then maybe be, you know, feel like less of who you are and not be able to express who you are. So you either, you can't, you can't beat them, join them. And that's why these schools create these environments. Well, I guess society as a whole, but these schools, I think, are really, it's really uh, much more intense. And they're indoctrinated in that, right? Like, and it starts early because they'll have like early learning centers. Like, I remember that there are pictures of me as a little boy, right? Like three years old. And I've got like red nail polish on, right? Because mum used to wear red nail polish you know 1990s and i'd be like oh i want to look like this so like it's cool or whatever like mum yeah and it was like the ritual right because she'd like sit out on a sunday night before she had a week of work and she'd be like painting her now she'd get the acetone nail remover and like the cotton bud and remove it and then i wanted to be part of that ritual yeah of being you know and my sister had really long hair so mum would like like brush her hair i didn't have long hair so i couldn't do any of that but i wanted to be part of this right and it wasn't like it wasn't even like the beauty aspect, right? It wasn't even like oh, I like the way it looks. It was being part of something, yeah. like community, right? And so I would do that with mum. Like I would paint my nails, right? And then all of a sudden, after kinder, there are all these photos of me, and none of them have painted nails in them. And I asked mum, like, what happened? Did I grow out of it? Because I didn't remember. And this is the thing about childhood: is there's so many examples of trauma that you repress or you forget about because it's too it's too much to deal with, right? But she told me she was like. You told me that you went to kinder one day and a boy teased you and said, are you a girl? Are you a girl? Mm. Girls wear nail polish. Boys don't wear nail polish. Are you a girl? And she said, you felt so emasculated by that, right? And here's me just trying to figure out my sense of gender and identity and my place in the world as a small boy. But other boys are policing that. And I think that's what happens with boys and men is that boys and men police the behavior of other men in order to uphold a status quo that marginalizes everyone that doesn't fit into it. What you're allowed to fit into that, like, kind of that, like, world is so small and so restrictive. It's why when you talk about, like, you know, all men have a responsibility to end violence against women, they're like, oh, not all men. And it's like, you know, what do you mean, not all men? They go, not all men are violent. It's like, but we didn't say that all men are violent, but we said that all men can play a role. Absolutely. You know, it's like all, it's like all people can play a role in stamping out racism, right? Like, it's not saying you are a racist person or you are a violent abuser of women. It's saying that, like, do you want to be part of a change where there's more equality? You know, it's an invitation, right? And you can take it and RSVP, yes, right? And it's great. Like, that's we want you to come to that party. Or you can just be like, no, I'm I'm no fun, Mr. Misogynist. I'm not showing up, right? In which case, let's never hang out. Yeah, let's pass on that one. So, Train, usually people, do you have a nightmare fuel off the top of your head or do you want us to play one and react to it? No, let's react to one. Fuck yeah. Oh, my God. It's horrible. I can't believe you did that. What the fuck? Would you mind just not going out with him again? Hey, Abby. It's uh, a fellow Abby Another Abby. Two Abbeys in the world. um, I just wanted to share with you an interaction I'd had with a guy that I've been seeing recently. And for me, this one really sums up, A, why I'm a feminist, B, why we need more feminists, C, why it is all men, and D, the burning fucking existential crisis that I'm having that... I may never find a man that I can genuinely cohabitate with because of the fucking patriarchal values that they are conditioned with and don't seem to be able to actively overcome. So we both went into the situationship, I guess you could call it, with the intent that we would spend time together and see where it went. That was genuine on both sides. We're both at the stage where, at the stage and at the age where it's like, okay, if we're going to have families, it sort of probably needs to happen soon sooner rather than later anyhow. So I disclosed to this guy that I see girl I like girls as well as guys and I am like you I don't identify as bisexual because that makes me feel pressure to like guys and girls equally and I don't. Um I'm also not pansexual because that would imply as I understand it 
that it would be the person's personality that I was attracted to and not their physicality. And that's definitely not the case for me with women. I'm definitely physically attracted. That's sort of what sparks it. I explained to him that I don't see myself in a long-term relationship with a woman and I don't know why that is. It's just my viewpoint and it's just the way I've always felt. And he has previous trauma of being cheated on by one of his girlfriends who was bisexual, who did identify as bisexual. She cheated on him with a girl. So we started sort of discussing boundaries about, you know, he said, does it count for you? You know, if you were to hook up with a girl, do you see that as cheating or do you think it's a loophole? And I said, no, no, it's definitely cheating, you know. A loophole. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I love this idea that, like, heterosexual couples, the man will always be like, if it's pussy, does it count? Because I don't validate that women can very easily steal your girlfriend. Yeah. Weird. Just just so weird, right? <laughs> like... The thing is, right, it it draws into question for me, right? It draws into question for me, like, that being unfaithful, if you're, if you're in a monogamous relationship, right, then being unfaithful can take many different forms, right? And I think that people, regardless of gender, haven't had that conversation, right? Like, let's say two people are in a relationship, right? Let's say you and I are in a relationship, Abby, right? Um, one can dream. Um, <laughs> let, 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 Let's let's pretend, right? Um, and and then you know you have been having a tryst via DMs for eighteen months during the entire time that we've been in what we've both committed to as a monogamous relationship, right? With someone on the other side of the world, and you've never met each other, but you've got this kind of strong emotional connection. Like they're your they're the person that you go to to vent about the things your boss said to them at work or whatever it may be, right? Family troubles you're having or latest episode of Batchy or whatever. That, that's that's your emotional comfort, right? Mm-hmm. That's a form, right? That's a form of quote-unquote cheating, yes. right? That, that can be. And I think that people don't think that, right? And I think that men in particular have this thing, right, where they're like, you know, oh, if you cheated on me with a woman, it wouldn't be like, it'd be okay, I guess. Because like, you're just like eating each other's pussies and stuff. I think as well, from what the conversations that I have, and I, I think I saw, again, a TikTok, all my information is coming from there, but it was speaking oh, about best. how if I if I think about it, I think would I rather, if I was with a man, would I rather them, actually with anyone, would I rather them just fuck someone one night or go on a date with someone and not touch them? I'd much rather them just fuck someone else. Oh, 100%, million percent agree with you. Right? Like, just get it done. Like, and in most cases, if it's a man, it's going to be done in like three to five minutes tops, Exactly, right? first time, a, 100%. A date could go for hours. Hours. That shit, that shit could go to the next day, yeah. right? Like, they could stay over, they couldn't touch each other, but they could sleep in the same bed and they're just like this and then they're, like, chatting about, like, their dreams and they're, like, <laughs> naming their children and their pets together and I'm just like, But a lot of much. men, I think, would rather the date and not the fucking because they see themselves as kind of owning the woman's sexuality and that's why they're like, well I can give you the pass just fuck another girl, but the guy, no. Yeah. And we and a lot of men grow with this grow up with this ideology, which I think is really harmful, that like their dick is the biggest gift that they can give to the world. And like it's abundantly not true. It's abundantly <laughs> it's abundantly false. Like and and I think this is why like the the sex toy market for women in particular is so much larger uh-huh. than it is, you know, because I think there is more of an exploration of sexuality and sexual pleasure and there's less of a, you know, a, a mainstream acknowledgement of women's pleasure, right? So I think that as a, as a consequence of that, that market has existed. And I think one of the things I find so strange is like how men view, you know, men in monogamous relation, monogamous heterosexual relationships will view the introduction of toys as being like a threat, a threat. Or it makes them uncomfortable, and I'm like, dude, you are you are not in competition with, you know, a mechanical mm. device. And maybe if you are, if your value is only um the sex, maybe rethink what you're bringing to the relationship. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're in like you know a conventional relationship, right? Like what you know what we think about, then. Dude, if that's what you're bringing to the table, then level up because it's like that's not enough. Absolutely. Because if that's if that's all there is, right? There's way better out there, right? Exactly. The- exactly. Let's continue with the with the voice note and see what this person said to her. You kiss someone else, you have sex with someone else when you're in a relationship with someone, then yeah, it's cheating. 
And he said, his closing comment was, you know, I've got that past trauma, but I also would never want to be like the ultimate nightmare for me would be to be Ross from Friends. And I was just like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, being left by a chick for another chick. I've been thinking about it so much over the past week, you know, obviously lockdown, a lot of time to think which doesn't help the situation. But also if we break that apart, it's like, okay, so you would rather be cheated on like a woman cheat on you with another man than a woman cheat on you with another woman. Because we're not equal, because you view women as less than men, to be cheated on with another woman is the ultimate insult to you. Fuck, I just think that speaks loads, hey. And, you know, we were just, we had that discussion and he said to me, are you a feminist? And I was, and I said, you know, we, we had talked about other things that day as well. It was sort of a day for conversation and opening up and sharing things, which was great. But he said, you know, are you a feminist? And I said, I think it's pretty obvious at this stage that I am. And he said, oh, that word frightens me, but I know that it's because I don't fully understand feminism and all that sort of stuff. And so I went to great lengths to explain to him what feminism is for me, why I feel like I need it, some of my past experiences etc, etc. I didn't call him out, but I said to him, you know, for example, I've heard you use the word pussy as an insult. And I said, you know, like I explained to him why that's problematic for me as a female. I don't think that I'm less than. I don't think that being a female should be an insult. And he kind of couldn't wrap his head around it. And he's an intelligent guy. He's a tradie, but he's a very intelligent guy. But I just... Like I said, I've been thinking about it this last week and it just sort of fills me with this existential dread that I'm, am I ever going to genuinely find a man who can share my values and fully break down and actively resist the patriarchal conditioning, like be aware of his patriarchal conditioning and the misogyny that exists within him and actively break that down? I don't. I just don't know. I live very rurally, as you probably can tell from the way that I speak. Um, so maybe it's different in the cities. I don't know. Sorry, sis, it's not different. Maybe it's different. Yeah, it's not different. Okay, even in my experience, even the straight cis men that I have dated who are the good ones, like of, of the bunch, and who are working towards themselves still slip up so fucking regularly. And then when you try to tell them, they go, no, no, but I'm a good one. Like, you're not you're not listening. Like, I, oh, but I would never mean to do that. That's comes full circle with the conversation but it's like I'm telling you this is annoying and offensive like I had someone that I was seeing who would always like tell me that I needed a financial planner and I'd be like you're, this really annoys me because you're implying that because I'm a woman even though I have a degree in property economics you're implying that I don't understand how to manage money it's like, you know, I don't mean that I mean I mean I'm looking out for you and it's like I don't need you that that is an issue for me and I'm telling you I think it's because you think I'm a silly little woman who doesn't understand money and then he would get really defensive about it, but eventually he apologised properly. But I think that's my take. What's your take, Terang? I mean, you're a good one. You wouldn't tell me I need to manage my money better, would you? I mean, if there was a problem during that, like, that fictional relationship that I've created in my mind <laughs> then, and, and there, was a, there was something going on, then I'd say, like, Abby, I think I'd like for us to sit down. Shopaholic vibes. You know, and I'd be like, when you spend our shared bank account on things oh, that we wouldn't are have not one. necessary. We wouldn't have one. I'm never doing a shared bank account ever. So yeah, good, don't worry about that. Good. So, <laughs> so look, that, we're not going to have that problem. Settled. I think, I think one of the things, right, about what Abby, not you, Abby, the other Abby has said, is that, like, men and women and everyone really are works in progress, right? It's no, there's no one person that has, like, fully dismantled the patriarchy and lives entirely free of it because it still exists. Right. Like you, you, you therefore have to make choices and it's about doing the best you can. Right. And clearly, if this guy is not meeting Abby at a level where she's comfortable, right. And she's safe and she's secure, her values don't align with his. And ultimately, no matter how good the sex is, no matter how good anything is, right. That, that relationship is not going to stand the test of time unless something changes. And as for, is there someone out there? Look, I don't know. Rurally, it could be different, right? She said she lives like out somewhere, you know, quite far away from the city. I don't know. Like it's, I mean, there's certain things about it being tricky. And I think the thing for me, right, about all of this is she said, 
she said that, you know, this man feels confronted by the idea of feminism, right? And I just want to break it down real simply, right? Feminism is just equality between the sexes, right? And, and, and let's take it a step further, right? That no sane, rationally-minded person would oppose feminism because feminism simply means equality between the sexes, right? That's, if that's all it means, right, then why wouldn't you support the idea that women are equal to men, right? And if we want to take it further, then it's like intersectional feminism, which is what I personally try to support, which is that it's not just whether you're male and female. There are other factors that influence it, right? Like if you're poor or from a certain class group or you're a member of the trans community or you're, you know, you're a member of any particular you know, LGBTQI plus community or that, you know, you're from a certain ethno-cultural group. There are all these factors that intersect, and that's where the intersectional feminism comes from, right? So they're not, they're not complicated concepts, but I think that sometimes in this world we get, like, we get so caught up on definitions than trying to just live a good life, right? We get so caught up on, like, oh, does this fit the mould of that, rather than going, what is the actual empathetic response to this situation? How can I put myself in the other person's shoes? And I hope, I hope for her sake, if Abby wants to be in a relationship with someone, that she finds someone that's at her level. Um, but certainly for her and anyone, regardless of their gender, compromising on that is not worth it, right? Because you could, you could have a shitty relationship and last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, but you'll never get that time back, right? So you may as well be in a good one for less time. I reckon. Very true. Or not at all. And just be single. I'd rather be single than be in a shitty fucking relationship for 20 years. Oh, 100%. God, nightmare. Wait, long story short, do you think these men exist in line with Abby or do you think she's going to have to find one and like build a bear? Look, I don't know. I mean, she might have to build her ideal partner, get, you know, bypass off the internet. I don't know. I, I, like, <laughs> honestly, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I know a lot of, I know a lot of uh, pretty good men. Um, I'd put them in that category of the good ones. Um, and they are either in long-term relationships or longer-term relationships. So, you know, my parents, 35-plus years, or, like, I'm talking about my dad here. And, look, I mean, I, I'm i not ready for a stepdad, so she can't have him. Oh, that sucks. Okay, so, Abby, done with that. Who else? Let's auction them off. Yeah, so, I, I mean, they exist, right? And I think, I think one of the things I want to say to Abby as well, right, and, I'm, and I, I'm sure you'd agree, right, is that her self-worth isn't tied up to having a man. Yeah. You know, the idea that, like, some of the stuff, the way that it was coming across, and I don't want to project or read into it, right, I just, the, but the way it came across to me was, like, will I find someone or am I going to be alone? Being alone, right, is not, you know, is not as bad as society tells you it is. Yeah, it isn't a massive failure. Yeah, you're not a failure, and particularly for women, because women cop the brunt of it, right? But, like, the stats show that single women live longer, are happier, and married men, you know, straight married men, live longer and are happier. And that tells us a lot, I reckon, about, like, who's who's lifting the emotional load, who's doing the stuff at home. And so for me, like, you know, if I were to cohabit with someone and have that kind of long-term relationship, it would be important to try to contribute you know to try and do my part and keep them alive for a bit longer <laughs> precisely because i'm needy right i need them around <laughs> amazing okay that's amazing train thank you so much for talking to me today i've really really enjoyed it where can everyone find you on insta at tarang chola and then uh, i've got a pretty uh, unique name just pop it into google you'll find stuff yeah amazing and uh we'll link in the show notes thank you so much for joining me it's been amazing thanks for having me on